Hebrews chapter 1. I, somebody said you're, you're long-winded when you preach. Like, duh. <laughs> but if, if you, once you get into this and start studying, we could just take the word glory and go for about three weeks just on that word. It, it's so vast and so deep. Uh, we're not going to do that, but uh, hopefully we'll get through a few verses tonight. Hebrews chapter 1, let's begin reading verse number 1. It says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's, who being in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who make his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Father, have your way in our study tonight. Help us to get some, just some basic insight into who you are. Lord, help us to see God through the sun tonight. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take this passage in a little bit of a reverse here. We're not going to start with verse number three. We've already covered verse one and two. Uh, but going to verse, past verse number three, let's start at verse number four, and I think you'll see later why we do this. But he says, being made so much better than the angels. Now remember, in the very first verse, he's better than the prophets. He's better than man. He's, and he begins to build this, this whole list of who he's better than. Better than the old covenant, better than the, just all of this, building this up. So he said, being made so much better than the angels. So he's so much better. He's superior to any of that being made. Notice this word, the term being made. Uh, just simply by existing. He's God. Isn't he better? Why is he saying then being made? What did we talk about last week? We went back and talked about the sun placement. In that sun placement, you'll see that in several verses here. When he is placed as a son at the resurrection, he becomes the high priest. And there's several things that happen during that sun placement. So he says, being made, the term is to be placed in. 
Again, you come back to that adoption. In that position, in that power, in that authority, uh, he's been placed there. As that father would son place them, they're given all the authority of the father. They have all the rights there, the inheritance, everything. Now, then we go on down in that verse, it says, as he hath, how? Talk to me. By inheritance. When did he get the inheritance? When he was son placed. So as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By his adoption, he's son placed. The father is testified. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he has all rights, authority to act on my behalf. Before, he does doing the will of the Father and saying what the Father said. Now, and it's interesting, even studying through it again this afternoon, I found another thing that just blew my mind. God, it says, and God said, just in Genesis chapter 1, 10 times, he says, and God said. Throughout the Old Testament, 30 times he says, and God said. Not one time in the New Testament. Why? Because in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. It just all begins to gel. Now, as we go on down, not only the name, the superior name, he is the son placed, son of God, by that adoption. In verse number five, it says, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And what you will notice in several verses, you think you're reading what Paul wrote in Hebrews. You're not. All of this is quotations from the Old Testament proving what Paul has been trying to tell us already here. So here... In this part of it, the, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul quotes the word of God. He quotes Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 6, where he says, yet have I set, poured, or anointed my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Paul is taking this reference out of the book of Psalms and he is applying it here to the Hebrew people and to Jesus Christ. You also see it again in chapter 5 when you get there to Hebrews 5, 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. He goes back again, and he refers to it again. That's when he became the high priest. Warren Wiersbe, a great uh, theological scholar, he said, When did the father say this to the son? Not when he was born into the world, but when he came out of the tomb. You see that because it says in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, 
And it is also written in the second Psalms, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So he attributes it back to the psalmist and that passage again as to the resurrection, not only when he placed him in as, as the high priest, but at our resurrection, when we are adopted, we will gain these, these gifts or inheritance, if you please. Christ was begotten from the tomb, not from his physical birth, but from the tomb, that resurrection power. He was declared by the Father to be his placed son at the resurrection. Uh, he'll declare us to be son placed at our resurrection, at the adoption. So he goes on and in the next part of that verse, he says, and again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. That's a quote from 2 Samuel chapter seven and verse number 14, referring to the house of David and Solomon in their relationship to each other and he pulls this out and says, this is what I'm talking about. The relationship between that father and the son here. And that's why he says, and again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. So we see that personal relationship. The angels did not have that personal relationship. They are powerful. They were servants of God, but they did not have the relationship that he's talking about here. He goes on in verse number six and says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. This is also a quote, a quote from Psalms 109, or excuse me, from 97 and verse number seven. He's, he commands that the angels of God worship him. And you'll find in Romans chapter 19 and verse 10 and also chapter 22 and verse nine, when, they, they, when John fell down before the, the angel, they said, whoa, don't you worship us. Worship God only. And so when you see Jesus accepting worship, in the New Testament here, you understand why he is allowing that, why he is doing that. Uh, then in verse number seven, he says, and of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. This also is a complete quote. It's a quote from Psalms 104 in verse number four. Angels, the whole concept of that was angels were nothing but servants of the most high God. Jesus is better than that. And he quotes all these verses because angels were powerful and angels were revered in the Hebrew faith. But yet he's trying to show them Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. So he's greater than angels, but now we want to notice who he is and what he is. So let's go back to verse number three. In verse number three, it says, referring to the son who being in the brightness of his glory. I, I wish that we could fully grasp all that is embodied in that statement. 
who being in the brightness of his glory, all that God is, his ways, his actions, his beings, is absolutely expressed in Jesus Christ. All the attributes, everything. And, and you say, well, why don't people grab a hold of this? Because they have never humbled their soul before this Savior. You see, that's a little judgmental. Well, if you go back to Corinthians in chapter 2, it says they received not the things of the Spirit of God. They couldn't understand the Word of God. Why? Because he said the Holy Spirit is not living in them. Why do you think they have to dumb down the Bible, dumb down the Bible, dumb down the Bible to where, where somebody can read it? And they say, well, I still can't understand it. Because the natural man, the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit. Because they do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit living in them that illuminates them. And they try to work it around and, and everything. But the problem is when you get it down here, you've changed the understanding and meaning of what they're saying. You've changed the meaning of words. You've changed the doctrine. And that's not how you come before God by changing everything. I, I just wish I could make this so plain that before we left tonight, we was on our face before holy God. God's reflected radiance. The, think about this. Who being in the brightness of his glory. In John 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Colossians 1.15 says, who is the image of the invisible God? Colossians 1.19 says, for it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is that glory. He is that radiance. He is that reflection as you look in the mirror. You see, whether you like it or not, that's what you're going to see. It's the reflection of whatever's in front. And Jesus is the exact reflection of the Father. We talk about the glory of God. All of his divine attributes make up the glory of God. We try to pick out one and we try to see, see that as glory, but we don't look over here and see the other attribute as being glorious. Uh, did you ever notice that he says Peter was going to glorify God in his death? We don't just glorify God in our life. We glorify God in our death. So as we get into this, I want to just run through just a few things about attributes. 
First of all, the attribute that I believe most people never get a hold of or totally, they just bypass it. And that is the attribute of unity. Now, pastor's been preaching on that we should be unified and he's correct. And we should be. But because it is an attribute of God, every attribute is completely true of God in his character. Every attribute is true and it's his character. It's just so plain. Every attribute is equal and never contradicts the other. For example, you have the character, characteristic or the attribute of love. Well, what are you gonna do with wrath? People say, well, they, 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 no, they balance each other. Both are in the characteristics of God. You had the society back in the 60s. It was just all love, joy, peace, put a daisy in a gun barrel type thing, you know? And boy, God was a God of love. God was a God of love. And everybody just preached on love. And God's got a wrath too. All these guys say, well, God's not a God of war. They should have talked to David, who has slain 10,000s at God's command. We need to think through these things, but understand that They are all equal attributes and they never contradict each other. You have love, wrath, mercy, justice. It seems to be against each other, but they're not. Each one describes an attribute and together you can't take some out and say, well, I don't like that one. All of them have to be together and that makes up the complete character of God. Whether it's his eternality, his immutability, omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, eminence, the fact that he exists of himself, his holiness, his love, his righteousness, his justice, truth, faithfulness, grace, and you can go on and on and on. And every one of them are equal. And every one of them balance out and is who God is. And you can see them, each one of them, as you go through the scriptures, you can see them in the person of Jesus Christ. Talks about his brightness, that shining forth. That's the Shekinah glory that was in the Old Testament. It talks about Jesus as being a rock, but he's also leading and guiding them. He was that Shekinah, that brightness, that shining forth of who God was and who God is, the very person of Jesus Christ. Both in his nature, in his actions, in his teaching, Jesus is who God is. We know God by the revelation of his glory. And that glory is shown through Jesus. That's why he said in John 1:14, he said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his what? Glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. 
He, we beheld his glory. The word behold is to observe over a period of time. It's not just one big flashbang. You're to observe, behold over that period of time. And they said, we saw that. They saw it in the transfiguration. As he goes up the mountain and he's transformed, the Bible says, before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the night. It shows that purity, that pure holiness of God and who he is. His supernatural, miraculous power. In John chapter 2 and verse 11, it says that this beginning of miracles did he in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. The cross displayed God's perfect justice and love. In John 13, 31, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. So this term glory, it, it just, it's so, so powerful and it, it's so widespread. He is manifesting the very image of God the Father. You see it in his resurrection. As you study out his resurrection, it's absolutely amazing. The power of Almighty God to be able to make someone come back alive. None of these healers, self-proclaimed healers, can do it. Man cannot do it. Only God. And Jesus touched the briar and said, get up. And the young boy rose up. He goes to the young girl and he says, arise. She gets up. What's without God and God's miraculous power? That's the attribute that he expresses to us when he ascended into heaven. Can you imagine standing there, one of the disciples, and all of a sudden, this dude starts going up. That just give me the glory bumps all over the place. <laughs> well, but how about Lazarus when he came out of the tomb? One of the things always funny in all the movies and everything, they always have him waddling out there or something like this. It says he was bound head and foot. They had basically a mummified thing. They wrapped them and he couldn't move his legs. He couldn't move his arms. And I proved to some people in church one night, I wrapped somebody up. And I said, okay, now get up. Just get up. And they can't do it. Lazarus. And floated out that door and sat down there. And now Jesus says, go loose him. Cut him loose. The miraculous power of Almighty God is the express image of God. 
It was, he was full of grace and truth. When you look at the grace of God towards us, we're all just hell-bound sinners. Every one of us deserve hell. But by God's grace, we're saved. And his truth, the doctrine, what does Jesus actually say? What does he teach? And whatever he teaches must be believed. We must believe it. The express image of his person, that exact essence of who he is, the impression itself. Usually this, this word, the image is, is used of engraving or stamping, like they would stamp and engrave coins with the image of the, the potentate or whatever. Just like we have Lincoln and that's about the only one I've ever seen, really. <laughs> they have pictures of all these. They're engraving. And that's the word here, caricature. It's the letter or the mark. He said Jesus Christ is actually the carving. He is the stamp. He is the very imprint of God himself. That's why John 14 says, John saith unto him, have I been so long with time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the, us the Father? Jesus said, when you see me, you are seeing God. Because he was God. But he was the very imprint he was the very essence he was the very image of god to relate to us all of who he is notice it says and he upholdeth all things whether it's space or climate or life or stars or air or heart or hearing all things he sustains this is where we get this concept of he is the sustainer yes he gives life but he sustains life as well colossians 1 17 says and he is before all things and by him all things consist he's the one that holds it all together he didn't just throw it out in space and it's running every which way it's all under his control you know that's why i'm not much for this this global warming stuff. Uh, why? God's going to take care of it. Man's not in control. I always wondered when they say, well, you know, the temperature's raising about one degree. Was that in December? Was that January? Was it? I mean, temperatures go up and down all the time, all through the year. Which day are they picking? I don't know what they're talking about. He doesn't all things then when he sustains all things include my salvation then that's eternal security amen how does he do it how does he accomplish all of this by the word of his power by the word of his power genesis 1 3 and god said that was it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. All, all he has to do is speak. 
That's it. In Genesis chapter 3, then in verse number four or 5, and then I think it's 10, 10 times just in that one chapter right there, it says, and God said. He spoke everything into existence. What magnificent power. They say words are powerful. They have no idea how, how accurate they are. Because as God just simply had to just speak, he could have taken himself off that cross. He could have whooped every one of them. I mean, he could have just smoked them. Can you imagine the Roman that walks up and spits in his face and slaps him in the face? And yet, just one word, and that guy is just like a little ant. What power our God has. The um, omnipotence, the, the awesome power. Jesus is the administrator of God's word in this world. God has spoken it. Now he says, my son is speaking it. And now he administrates all of those things throughout the world. What Jesus says, he has the power to do. Sometimes we get in over our head and we say, tell somebody we're going to do something. And then we realize we don't have the power to do that. We can't do it. But everything he says, he can, he has, and he will do. And we can trust in that. But notice this as he continues. He says, when he had by himself he needed no help we couldn't help him salvation is 100% of God only I know the Lutheran church they used to tell us well you know you're, you're finishing the work of salvation no if you have any part in your salvation you don't have salvation because you're trusting in yourself or partially in yourself and you've already messed up. <laughs> there was no help in baptism or church membership or communion or any work. Eternally secure, why? Because it all depends on him. Salvation was his idea, not mine. There's nothing I can do to get it. Agree with him. I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. I'm wicked. You're right. Jesus come to die for you. He, he shed his blood on that cross for you. You're right. If you'll just believe. No action, no Go bow down, go wash in a pool. Just believe. That's salvation, 100% upon Jesus. If he lied and he did not do this, if he, if he didn't do it by himself, if he had help, then it's a lie. The whole word's a lie. 
But if you go back and say, and you teach that baptism or works has to be there or church membership or speaking in tongues or whatever, you're lying to people. You're going to send people to hell. I remember when Jimmy Swagger was back in when I was a little bit younger. I mean, he, he was preaching and said, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you are not saved. That is heresy. That depends on what you do, not on what he did. And he said, he's done this by himself. When he had by himself purged our sin. Not to solve problems, not to heal our bodies as many teach, not to make us all wealthy, but he purged our sins. He by himself has purged our sins. Sins must be purged. Sins must be done away with. I've asked people all, all around this world, how many sins, when you, when you get baptized, how many sins are taken away? I don't know. Well, how many sins are taken away when you burn one of these candles? Well, I don't know. How many sins are taken away? I, I used to watch them over in Italy and they would, they would walk for, blo or for blocks on their knees and their knees are bloody and, and raw and they're walking or crawling through this cobblestone and they get to the basilica and they, they one step at a time, every step on their knees and the blood is there and, and Every step they have to stop and say a whole new different prayer until they finally get to the top. And here's a statue of St. Peter and they've had to replace his toe three times because it's marble and they have worn it off simply by kissing his toe. That's how often they do this. How many sins does that take care of? They have no answer. Why? How many sins are taken away when you take the, the Lord's Supper? They have no answer. Why? Because it don't take any away. He said he did this by himself and he purged our sins. God insists on purging, not atonement. Don't go around telling people that they, you know, God just atones, he just covers up our sins. No, no. In the Old Testament, Sins were atoned for. You have a pen and you take your Bible and you put it in the middle of the Bible and you shut that Bible up. How many of you see my pen? No, it's atoned. It's covered. But it's still there. And in the Old Testament, when they made the sacrifices and their offerings and everything, they atoned for their sins. God said, all right, they're, they're, they're atoned for, they're covered up until the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ when John says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. I don't want my sin just covered. I want them gone. And that's what he says in this verse. He has purged our sins. Not atoned. Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Baptism won't do it. No blood. 
Your works won't do it. No blood. Now, some of us klutzy people, there might be a little blood, but that, that's a different story. Purged. It's in the, the past tense. It has been taken care of. It has been completed. It is a finished action. It's not that we're hoping that he will forgive our sins. All my life as I grew up in the, in the church, I hope God would weigh it out in the end. No, there's no way it out in the end. He's already taken care of it. He's purged all of my sins and your sins. By himself, he was the sacrifice. As our high priest, he presented that blood on the altar. As God, he received, accepted that sacrifice and removed our sins forever. And as king, he pours out blessings of salvation on us, the believers. Hallelujah, what a God. Notice it says he sat down. This is interesting. He sat down four times in the book of Hebrews. It talks about or refers to sitting down. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says he sat down as the placed son. That's what we're talking about here. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he sits down as the high priest. In chapter 10 and verse 12, he sits down as the one an only sacrifice. And then in chapter 12 and verse 2, he sets down as the author and finisher of our faith. These phrases are very important. There was no furniture in the temple to sit down on. You had the table for the showbread. You had the altar for the incense. You had the candlesticks and all those over here. But there was no chair. Why? There was no time to sit down. You had all of these people, hundreds of them, coming from, you're talking several million people out here, and they're coming in to make sacrifices, not just one a day. <laughs> I mean, these people are coming from all that vast group, and, and, and they're coming and bringing their offerings and sacrifices. The priests were so busy. Whenever we see the picture of the tabernacle, we see one little old altar and, and then we, we see the building back here and everything. There were tables and tables and tables and tables where they were preparing these sacrifices and they would kill them and they would have to skin them and they'd have to do all that. All of that is going on all over all the time. It's a massive thing just at the feast. I think was 100,000 offerings there from, from Solomon himself. I mean, just the, the massive amount uh, of, of sacrifice and everything. But there was no time for, there was no place for a chair. That's why they had them on schedules and they, they worked for so many hours and they could only work to a certain age. And uh, there's a lot of different requirements along that. But they were so busy and the things of the Lord here. And then victory. <laughs> there was no more work to do. When Jesus offered that sacrifice, the work was finished. It was done. 
Notice he says on the right hand of the majesty on high, sun placed. He sits on that right hand. He's placed in that position, in that power, in that authority through his adoption. He is sun placed as that high priest. He has the right to sit on the father's right hand. The most, the highest, the most exalted place ever. And it was given to Jesus. And this is where Jesus intercedes for us, for you and me. Romans 8, 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. And what's he doing there? Who also maketh intercession for us. You ever been in a place and you're just so exasperated that you just, you just, you don't know what to say. You're so hurt. You're so broken. I remember I, a couple of guys in our church over in Germany, they, they wanted to talk to me and, and they had to wait because I was leading two other people to Christ in my office and they came in and, and after that I told them come on in they come in they're going to chew me up one side and down the other for not preaching the gospel and I'm thinking what these two got saved how you know they, they're just dis, disgruntled people but I take things personally I want to do my best for the Savior and I want to do my best for the people and I, after they left, and I, and I turned around, and I remember just, I just sunk down on my knees and, and put my face in that chair. And I didn't have a word I could say. All I said, God, I hurt. I hurt. When there's times that you just, you hurt. There's people in our congregation going through difficult times and physical things and, and family, all kinds of stuff. And you know, you come to that point sometimes and you just, I don't know what to say, God. I don't have words to express what's in here. That's Jesus' responsibility. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows your sorrow. And he sits there at the right hand of Almighty God. And he intercedes on my behalf. That's not some little priest down here that, that, that's the sinner himself. <laughs> that is the Son of God sitting there next to the Father. And he's interceding on my behalf. Your prayers don't go unheard. And when you don't think you know how to pray or you can't pray, you just get in that closet with Jesus and he'll tell the, the Father what's in your heart. He'll intercede. We can have confidence in all of this. We can have access into the very holy of holies. That's why he said in James chapter 4, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. I like that. Again, it doesn't depend. I mean, he's going to do what he promised. 
In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in what? What does it say? All points. You know what that tells me? There's not one thing that you and I can go through that he hadn't been faced with. There's no situation you can be in that he doesn't know about and understand and has gone through it and come out shining. But was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may find help and obtain mercy and find grace and to help in the time of need. We must be live on a short string to where at any time, day, night, wherever we're at, we can go to that throne of grace and he's welcoming us and saying, what can I do? How can I help? Do you need some grace? Do you need some unmerited favor? Do you need my blessing? If I didn't believe this, I would never have set foot on the plane to go to Africa. That's not a place you want to just go for other than just a short vacation. Salvation is offered freely to us through Jesus. Do you see who Jesus is? It's God himself. It's God in the flesh. Do you see what Jesus has done for you? All of what he's done. We are the most complaining people. You know what God punished Israel for the most? Murmuring. Complaining. We should, we should thank God. I sit there in the house sometimes and I, I, I'm just having a good time and I said, Lord, thank you for them cupboards. Because she didn't have them over there. But now she's got some good cupboards. Thank you for them. Boy, that's a good coffee pot, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> it has it ready when we walk out. I mean, just start thanking God instead of groaning and belly aching about everything. He has proven that we can trust him because of his resurrection. And when that, at that resurrection, when God placed him in and appointed him and, and, and put him in that, that position as our high priest, folks, that didn't stop when he went to heaven. He's still there. He's still interceding. He is still our high priest, and we can still go to him every day, every day, every day. And he will hear and he will answer. How do I know that? Because of his resurrection. He proved it. He proved he had the power to do anything that he has said. He's better than all. Better than the old system. Better than the priests. Better than the angels. Better than man. 
He is sovereign. He is God. The very image, the very character of God himself. If you want to find God, if you want to draw closer to God, you have to go into the book and look for Jesus. And if you will start doing what I've taught you a few, the last few sessions we had, just take a verse and whatever you can find about Jesus and write it down and you go through the whole thing. When you find that out, you can find out about God. What he likes, what he doesn't like, what he wants, what he doesn't want. It's all there. Father, Lord, help us to be students of your word. Help us to look for Jesus that we might know you in a much greater way. Lord, help these scriptures to come alive in our hearts and our minds that we might search the scriptures for in them we think we have eternal life. But they testify of Jesus. Father, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother, would you come?